the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to On the Road with Jesus. And I'm actually here on my second show. Tagline for this show is Matthew 419, where Jesus is saying, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I'm sure you heard that lead-in song that we had. I want to thank Clint Gonzalez uh, for that great fade-in song and fade-out song. Last week, I really could not remember the name of the song, and I was calling it Everything Else, but it is Jesus, the one that gives us hope. Isn't that so cool? Because hope is one of my favorite words, as I said last week, and so that's so cool. And then also, when I was talking to Clint, he said to me, when do you need the song? And when I gave him the date, he says, really, I never write songs unless like write it sing it and record it in less than two weeks he says i'm not sure if i can get the job done you know what god got the job done the guitar and and your buddy there kevin winrich who did the keyboards and the drums three in one the group i love it thank you so much guys uh let's pray father thank you for all you've done for me in these last few days in this last few weeks for clint and three and one for getting this song together for Sean for being so patient with me. Oh yeah, I wanted to thank my son John Jordan who who painted this fantastic painting behind me, picture of Jesus with the crown of thorns. Also thank John Jordan and his wife April for building my website. Lord, so thank you for them. Lord, I just um, do ask today that. You would give me a clean heart and the right spirit. Just pray that you'd get me through in Jesus' name. I do want to go back to uh, that tagline that I mentioned um, at the beginning, that scripture in Matthew 4.19 that says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I was really blessed to do a little bit of research on that. The scripture right before that is in in um, verse 18 is where it says Jesus is walking on the shores of Galilee and he sees Simon, also called Peter, and he sees Andrew, two brothers. And they're, you know, they've got their nets in their hands and they're fishing. And he says to both of them, this line, come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I thought to myself, the next line says, 
they instantly or immediately dropped their nets. Like there was no question. Like, you know, they didn't say like I might do. Uh, look, Jesus, we're fishing here. This is our livelihood. They just dropped their nets and raced towards Jesus. And then the next line talks about Jesus going towards two other fishermen. Um, let me read that, actually. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat. Their father was there, Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And it says here, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. You know, I was thinking... I, I, I don't know if you remember, but last week I told you how I used to have to write a hundred times when I did something wrong. I was thinking my father was really easy on me. My, my siblings, my sister, um, Loretta and my brother Hiram used to tell me all the time, you got away with a lot. And, and they, you know, got the whippings on their hands and spankings or whatever. And I just had to write. But I was thinking even my dad would say to me, if this were him, here's Zebedee just allowing his sons to go. But I was thinking my dad would have said, Hey, listen, you get over here. We're in the middle of a job here. You're not going anywhere. Get back on the boat. And Lord knows what he would say if it was my sister and my brother, because he was way stricter with them. But it says here, Zebedee, if he said anything, it doesn't say that he did. But let me go to this other scripture, kind of follows the same time. And it's, you know, Mark's words um, through the Lord, of course, where he says in Mark 1, 19, it says, when he, meaning Jesus, went a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. So they're just getting ready to go. Without delay, he called them, meaning Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him, which is Jesus. When I read that, I thought, oh my gosh, here is Zebedee, who not only was he feeding his family, but having this be his livelihood, but he's got hired men on the boat, which means it's his business, and lots of other people are getting paid through Zebedee. I'm thinking, okay, there goes James and, and John follows and they're taken off towards Jesus and they drop their nets right there. I'm wondering, my dad would surely say, you two guys get back on the boat. I've got this whole group of people. We're going fishing. This isn't a Saturday morning kind of fishing trip where, you know, you're going to bond with your kid and if he gets off the boat, no big deal. I'll go fish alone. No. This was a bigger deal than that. And I'm thinking, wow, they just obediently, after one call, got off the boat, followed Jesus. The other thing I thought about when Andrew and Peter just dropped their nets there, who's going to pick up those nets? I mean, they left no provision for this thing with Jesus not working out. They dropped their nets and off they went. I mean, they were thinking, this is going to be it for us. And I thought how when we accept Jesus into our lives, 
that that past stuff, you know, just leave it behind and just go wherever he calls you. And that's really what they did. Not only leaving their past, but making no provision that this might not work out and I might need that fishing net again. And I also thought about how many times the Lord had to nudge me to get over here because I was thinking, you know, Jesus, is this good work over here? People are getting saved too. Like I'm over here doing this great work. And how our friend Daniel kept saying, have you considered that radio station, Brody? I really feel like you should pray about it. Oh, you know, I've got this really great thing over here. And no, I had to be nudged over the course of four years. These guys, wow, one call and they were dropping everything to go. Well, Anyhow, it speaks to my stubbornness, I guess, or my disobedience and how God just never gives up and keeps calling. Anyhow, I remember um, saying to Jesus when I finally gave in to this whole idea, gosh, Lord, you're really going to have to give me words. You're really going to have to kind of keep me in the center of your will because it's, you know, obviously being taped. I get no redos here. So that was kind of scary. But anyhow, I want to take you back to Matthew. You know, of course, after Jesus got those four guys to listen and be so obedient at the first call, which I'm not going to go into, only to say that in in, in verse 5, it talks about the blessed are they, you know, all those things. But I wanted to concentrate on Matthew 5, verse 13, and um, also Matthew 5, verse 14 where Jesus calls us salt. He says here, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except be thrown out and trampled upon by men. And I thought to myself, yes, I've always heard about us being salt. And what does salt really do? It enhances the flavor of something. So um, to salt, you know, things so that it enhances the flavor. And I was thinking here, it said it could lose its saltiness. I thought, wow, how do you lose your saltiness? Well, I read somewhere where the Israelites got their salt from, you know, the Dead Sea. We went to the Dead Sea in um, 2004. Um, there's a lot of impurities there. And I don't know if there were a lot of impurities way back then, but I thought that salt is mixed with impurities. And maybe they got their salt from, you know, maybe the Mediterranean, I don't know. But um, how does it lose its saltiness? It loses its saltiness through the impurities that happen to fall in with that salt or diluted with that salt. And that's really how sin works in our life and our salt gets diluted in our lives. Um, I thought, wow, that is so interesting how we need to keep our salt salty and not be diluted with sin. Got that one. Okay. So in verse 14, where it talks about us being the light of the world, it says here, you are the light of the world in the city on a hill. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In that same way, let your light shine before men that they might see your good deeds and praise the Father which is in heaven. So, yeah, we've always heard that we need to be light and salt and keep that salt salty and that light bright and don't hide it. But I keep trying to go in that direction. After I 
accepted the Lord in 1973, I literally became, let me just say, a loose cannon for God. If you stood, say, two feet around me, I was going to tell you about Jesus. Um, I can remember standing in line at the bank, maybe bank lines at the ATM, maybe, um, but standing in line at the bank or standing in line at the grocery store, and I used every opportunity to talk to the person either in front of me or behind me and shared what Jesus did for me and what he can do for them, you know, that he died on the cross for them. I can also remember my poor kids saying, Mom, let's go. They accepted the Lord already. Let's just get going. How much do you have to say? But, you know, I really think because I grew up in a Christian home and I should have known better possibly, but continued to reject the Lord and the knock on the door of my heart that Jesus continued to do. And also because he had healed me of cancer, of Hodgkin's disease in the third or fourth stage, I felt this compulsion to constantly talk about Jesus to people. My kids, immediately after when I told them that Jesus had died for their sins, had accepted Jesus as as their Savior. But at the time, I was married to Walt, and he saw the miracle of how God had healed me, but he didn't accept Jesus as the Savior. Last week, I mentioned that the first person that I met with this was that was a Christian after I read the Bible was this girl, Jean, Jean Maross, this lady, Jean Maross, and then her husband, Mike Maross, who took me to Melody Land, where I accepted the Lord and made a public confession of, um, of accepting Jesus into my life. And the third person that I met was my friend, Emily. And I used to have them over. So Emily and her husband, Don, and Mike and Jeannie Maross, I used to have them over to my house all the time because I wanted them to talk about Jesus and have Walt hear another voice of how great our God was. And they would ask, I would ask him either during the time that we were together for that um, evening gather or after. And he always said no. He actually said to me, you know, I'm a pretty good Catholic. I know that I don't go to church every Sunday, but I'm there every Christmas and every Easter. That must count for something. And besides, if I were to die, you and the kids, he says, I know I probably wouldn't go to heaven, but I know I won't go to hell. I'm really a good person. And he said, and besides, you and the kids would pray for me while I'm in purgatory, and you'll pray me right into heaven. And I said, what are you talking about? Once you're gone, you know, the Bible says, absent from the body and you're present with the Lord if you're a Christian, but we're appointed once to die, and then judgment. When you are gone, you can't invite Jesus into your heart. It's while you're here that you have to do that. Well, I can remember years of stuffing tracks into his shirts before he went to work, before he went to work, turning the channels on his radio in his car to the own, only radio Christian radio station that I knew, and he'd be pressing those buttons, and they'd all be the same one when he got home. Of course, none of that worked. Really didn't think that what would end up happening happened. And that is, one morning, Walt went to work, and he went to meet a client 
for breakfast. And it was about 6 or 6.30. Anyhow, Walt was a pretty active person. He played golf at least once or twice a week. He um, played tennis, but he was really a pretty good golfer and a pretty good tennis player. And he loved being outdoors. So I'd say he was really healthy. He had diabetes, but other than that, he was really pretty healthy. Anyhow, he was having breakfast with his client. All of a sudden, in a table that was a few feet away from him, this man just falls on the floor and his wife is screaming, can you help him? Can you help him? And Walt looks around and realizes that he's um, the one that's going to have to do this because he's had CPR in the past, so he knew what he was doing. And he did CPR on this really big guy and the guy, um, people called 911 at this restaurant. And obviously that was before a lot of people had cell phones, but off he went to the hospital and Walt and this woman exchanged numbers so that we could keep in touch. So shortly after, I would say five or six days later, after that incident in the restaurant, Walt started getting sick. Um, he started with what we thought was the flu. So I remember it was around Super Bowl time and it would have, it was really difficult for him to be laying in bed while we had this big party planned. Didn't expect that he would be sick. We had, you know, like 75 people at our house for Super Bowl party and he was laying in bed sick with the flu and I had told him you have got to take a test for AIDS because what if that person had AIDS and he said I don't think he had AIDS I said can you just go and check well now that he was sick I was really panicked they did check him he didn't have AIDS and they told us that he just had the bad case of a flu and it comes on to you like you've got kind of a flu thing for about three weeks he was really sick and coughed syrup and whatever and it wasn't working and we took him to the emergency and he had jaundice and he was not getting better and I thought I, I, this is more than what we can handle at home somebody's got to check on him we admitted him in fiddle and we don't know what's going on, your medication is not working, your liver is failing, and that's why you're jaundiced. And so they were working on him for that. And I thought, wow, this is, what about this flu thing? What What's going on with that? And they said, well, he has the flu on top of it. I says, yeah, but he's been taking medication and well, we've got him in the hospital now and we're going to take care of him. And well, he was in and out of the hospital for two or three times within the next two months, not getting any better. Although his diabetes was, the jaundice had gone away, but terrible flu thing that he had just was not getting better. Well, had just been released from the hospital. Um, the phone rang and it was this woman that, um, of the husband that was in the restaurant. And she called and she said she wanted to thank Walt for saving his life. And she said, I want to thank you also for giving me more time with my husband. He did pass away, but you gave us that extra time that we needed to be with everyone, the family and settle his things. And then she said something interesting. You know, he really didn't have the flu. And um, I know that when you saw him, well, he had viral cardiomyopathy or viral cardiomyopathy. And Walt said, what in the world is that? 
And she says, well, it comes on you like you have the flu symptoms. And while you're in the throes of this disease, it attacks your heart muscle and your heart stretches like a balloon. And when it comes, when you're finally completely done with that disease and it leaves you with a heart that's gone into heart failure, it's limp and it doesn't work properly. And Walt could not believe his ears. He hung up the phone. He called his doctor right away. He says, I need to be checked for viral cardiomyopathy. That's what that guy died from. And I think I have it. Sure enough, we took him to the doctor's office and they ran the tests. And that's exactly what he had. Um, His cardiologist said to him, you have the heart of a 95-year-old man. And we have to get you healthy so that we can put you on a heart transplant list. And, you know, I heard all this. And for some reason, I didn't take God for granted. But because the Lord had healed me, I thought, well, no problem. The Lord can give him a heart once he gets on that transplant list. Or he can heal his heart. Because now I'm a big believer in the healing power of Jesus Christ. So surely he can do this. This is not a big job for him. And I was actually counting on on it. Walt had continued to get worse before he got better. And um, like I said, he was in and out of the hospital. And finally, um, he, he got in January. And finally, by the end of summer, we went to his cardiologist and he was feeling better, but he looked like he had just come out of a concentration camp in Auschwitz. You could count every rib on his back and from the front. I think he was about 6'1 or 6'2 and he, um, he was 130 pounds. I just believed that God was going to heal him. When we went to the cardiologist, he said, you know, Walt, you're looking really good. Your numbers are diabetes is back to normal range. Your liver is looking good. Your kidneys, your kidney numbers are, are better. Everything's looking really good. This is the first time I can tell you that I think all these months, whether you were going to make it or not, I think you're going to make it. They had him on the transplant list, and we walked out of that doctor's office feeling so encouraged. Well, from the doctor's office, we had an event. It was an event for an awards banquet for uh, my job, and there were hundreds of people there. He had to really rest before we went to that event, which was about, I think, 6 o'clock in the evening. So right about 4 o'clock, he, we started getting ready to go. And honestly, it was difficult for him to walk. And you know how these banquet rooms are. There's some obscure place way in the back of the hotel, and you've got to park far away. And literally, it took him forever to get there because, you know, he was walking. But while we got there, um, out of nowhere, this person sits at our table that I've never seen before. I mean, I knew who she was because she was like the top person in the company um, for the uh, for a woman. And I was so impressed with her. Her name was Brenda. And she sat right next to me and she was so excited. And she told everyone in the room, in the, in our table and held down how happy she was that she got to lead someone to the Lord that had this obscure disease called viral cardiomyopathy. And I thought, wait a minute, Brenda, that's what Walt has. I said, that's, and she said, well, I'm going to need to talk to Walt. And she stood up without even saying another word to the table as she was in the middle of her story. And she tapped Walt on the shoulder. And I thought, he'll never go with her. I mean, he just never will. Well, when she asked him to go, he followed her. And I thought, wow, that is something. 
Well, they were gone for about a half an hour. We had finished eating our salad. We were finished eating our main course. And we were on to our dessert when the two of them started walking towards our table. And I noticed that Walt was crying. And Brenda was crying. And she grabbed my hand before she sat down and she said, he accepted the Lord. Well, we knew. Well, of course, she got called up to the front stage, and our table was right there at the corner of the stage, and she told a group of hundreds of people, I really don't even need this award. I got my reward here. And she shared about Walt accepting Jesus as his Savior through her. And I could not believe that all those years of me stuffing things in his shirt pocket and his coat pocket and all those radio stations changing and playing all that Christian music and inviting Christian friends over and him saying no and here's some strange woman that he's never met before. He accepts Jesus as his Savior. I was happy but perplexed. And then God reminded me of that scripture that says, His word will not return void. Well, um, I could not believe what happened the next morning. Walt said to me, Rody, we're going to have to get on a prayer schedule. I thought, who is this man talking? He's never talked to me like that. He says, Anne, we've got to read the Bible every day. I thought, wow, this is a changed person. Well, I remember the first time ever that we prayed together. And Walt was a man of many words. I remember many times we'd walk into a meeting and the speaker didn't show up, and they said, Walt, can you get up there? There's 5,000 people here. Can you get up and speak? And he would just get up and talk. So he was a man of many words, and I remember the next morning praying with him for the very first time. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com, spelled R-A-H, Fisher, at ontheroadwithjesus.com, with Jesus.com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus. Hosted by Rody Fisher.